Episode number three of the day. If you see me waning, it's because the coffee is starting to wear off. But this next guest is going to bring me right back up. I got two dudes in here. Influential industry shakers. Big men in their industry. But first, as always, this episode of Emo Brown, the saddest Mexican podcast, is brought to you by Grasshopper, ghbuds.com, for all your medicinal, recreational cannabis needs. Reach out and touch someone. Take your Emo Brown social club card and get 15% off on all your purchases. It's almost like I know what I'm doing and I time it right. Look at that. And then you throw a little cheer in and it's like, ah, everybody goes crazy. We've got two cool dudes in here today. First off, El Compita, Justin Clint Lifford of the YMCA. Hey, what's happening, baby? What's happening, man? And number two, a newcomer, bro. Like we were just getting to know him. We were just kind of shooting the shit before the episode started, and you know, just kind of getting to know the homie. You're gonna, ent- you're gonna love this guy, man. El compita Héctor, el Pancho Mesa, bro. El compita Panchito. Welcome, bro. You come very highly touted by the one and only Tony Uribe, bro. Is it being Tony, bro? He, he, he was like, you have to talk to my friend. You have to talk to Héctor. You got to. He's a counselor at John J. Montgomery. Well, no, forget all that. Hector, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What are you about? And why are you here? Orale, pues primero, thank you for the space, bro. For sure. Come and share palabra, right? For, for everybody in the community, bro. Well, como dicen, no, soy el Panchito Hector Mesa, right? Mm. And I work at Montgomery Elementary, bro. I'm the school family counselor. And dude, I love that job. So you caught me off guard when you said that when we were talking earlier. You're the school family counselor. I've never heard of that role within a school. I obviously, I just, I have three little boys, nine, seven, and four, and they're all in elementary school here in the Chula Vista um, district. I didn't know that role existed. I know a lot of people don't know. It's because school counselors are not as known as like school psychologists or therapists and social workers, right? And and so now that we got the spotlight, right? Now that the state gave us some funding to have counselors in there, bro, it makes it much better for the kids, right? And for the community and familias. So I come from from that background of a family counselor, bro, because I did a lot of research and mental. Um, I went through a lot of training with Mental Research Institute, right? They placed us as a family counselor, bro, and kind of developed us to kind of respond to the family's needs, right? The community, the social, the psychological and emotional needs that some counselors are not trained by. When we go through our school system, bro, when we go through like um, university systems, we, we don't, we're not trained in anything with uh, family dynamics or family theory systems, what we talk about, right? It's more like academic, academic. So then when it's time for us to kind of deal with the kids, right? They call them traviesos or the tantrums. It's not, bro. They have a lot of situations that are neuropsychological, psychological issues, and so when we're just placed in an academic program, right, quote unquote program, we don't know how to respond to the kids' needs, right? So we just throw in like programs in schools and it's kind of like a checkoff program. Yeah. Like, I did this check, I did mm-hmm. this check. It has nothing to do with the basic necessities that kid, kids require for their well-being. Right? How did you end up in this role? I mean, is this something you put on the on your vision board when you were a youngster and be like, this is what I want to do? Is it something you kind of stumbled upon and fell in love and you said, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is my calling or Sabes que I, I think it became my calling until I, I understood what my purpose was, okay, right? Nice. But that wasn't my vision, bro. 
this wasn't my vision. It wasn't something that I wanted to become, right? Like in schools, I want to become this. I just kind of fell through it, right? And, and the way I came to it was when I started my work with the county office of ed, right? That kind of just confirmed it. But I was 18 years old when I started working as a teacher aide for right in La Mirada in San Isidro. And so I saw the need, right, of these kids. And so when you're a teacher, you're pretty much, you know, te avientan todos los traviesos, right? Hey, you work with these kids. <laughs> this group of kids is yours, Hector. Handle it. <laughs> and so I started kind of working in, in those communities that are come from, like, impoverished necessities, right? They have the lack of resources. So then I said, you know, I want to be a teacher. So I went to school to be a teacher, bro. I got my undergrad in teaching, right, multiple subjects. And I didn't finish my credential. I was working at the county office of ed. And there I was working with kids who were like involved in gangs or high risk of drugs and any form of violence prevention program through the county office of ed. And I started doing parent workshops. And from there, I started um, finding like the need, like these families. Need you start peeling back layers. You start peeling back layers and figuring yeah. out like, hey, wait a second, there's more here. This is not working. What right. can we do to work? You get to know their situation. That's what it is. And you know what a trip is that, so when I'm working at North County, Right. You're talking about that corridor, the 78, like Oceanside, Vista, Escondido, San Marcos, Carlsbad. Bro, you're dealing with like communities that are like indigenous based where a lot of these familias que son mexicanas. Right. Um, these there's their their first language is native language, Zapoteco, Mixteco. Right. They don't speak Spanish. So it's like, how do you help these communities? Right. What do you do? How do you respond to their needs? Right. And their kids. So then I started noticing like this disintegration of family dynamics. How? The, the, the domestication or the colonization of ideologies of a westernized white supremacist ideology of these kids in schools from their parents. Mm. And now you have this clash of cultures, right? And so now you're dealing with a bi-social cultural element in their own homes. So familia is trying to teach the valores, but then familia struggle to adapt to a society yep. to survive, right? And then you have this divide, right? So these kids, right? When I've been working with them in group settings, I started talking about cultura, Right. And what is cultura for you? What does that mean? And I remember one time a kid had a shirt, brown pride. And I said, do you don't even know what that means? Right. And he had the Aztec calendar. I said, well, that's the Aztec calendar, bro. Like the, the European name is Aztec calendar. It's the Tonalamal. That's what we call it. That's the Mexica. Right. So what does that represent you as community? You as a young kid and your identity. So these kids, bro, were like masters of my own teaching. Right. My degrees didn't teach me to work with kids and, and provide some relevant cultura identity and sense of belonging because these kids were involved in gangs. They got their belonging from there. So when we talk about these kids need therapists, I say, man, they have therapists. Their homies are their therapists, right? Mm -hmm, they're their outlet. Yeah. yeah. They talk about their problems and, and the abandonments and all the adversities they've gone through, a lot of the abuse they've gone through, right? And so when I started noticing that is how do, how do we create spaces and cultures or class cultures of young kids that can relate to each other? Very diverse. Right. Because I had like African-Americans, I had Asians, I had Mexicanos in my group. So then they started teaching each other for where they come from because they don't know where they come from. And when you talk about identity, for identity gives us a sense of who we are through our cultura. But then again, you go back into which cultura are we talking about? Cultura gives us a form of healthy mental health. Right. And so we have our own medicines, how we call it. And now mental health systems and, and all these all these studies talk about, yes, we need circles and restorative circles and stuff. And that comes from indigenous backgrounds, right? And so a lot of these kids go through violence and drugs and, and this stuff because that's the way to numb and to survive their adversities, the discrimination, racism that their own parents have encountered, right? And so what I realized is that these kids were embarrassed of their own familias, right? Because, I mean, their parents were labor workers, right? 
working on the fields or McDonald's and Pizza Hut, they were avergonzados. They didn't even want to talk about it. Right? So how do we create those spaces of being prideful for who we are and where we come from? We don't learn that in schools. Nope. We don't learn that in schools at all. When I was in sixth grade, bro, I learned that um, they, my teacher told me the Aztecs invented soccer, <laughs> right? And, and that they were savages that all they did is kill people. That's, that's the narrative I got from my own teachers, right? From an educator. And to be honest with you, I grew up with this mentality. Ah, pinche Mexicanos, they just come here and they trash the place. Right? Pinche violencia, sí. no saben cómo comportarse. Right? Yeah. Right? But that was set in by the educational system that represented that. And just recently, I feel like a lot of layers on that have been pulled back and a lot of light is shining on dark places where otherwise light hasn't been shunned before. You know, I was talking to uh, Cesar Fernandez. He's one of the homies here for the for the group that we roll with. And now he, Felicidades, he got voted into seat five of the, the Chilvisa school board. He sheds a lot of light. You know, like I, this is something I've taken great interest in now as a parent. You know, I was working on other things prior to becoming a parent to get to where I am now. But now that I have kids, it's like, all right, fuck, what do we need to do? We need to get involved. We need to do this. You know, my wife has flirted with the idea of joining the PTA. I just want to be involved. I need to know who are the, who are the decision makers of my children's future, right. you know? He's one of them, you know? So I tap into him. You're another one of them, man. Right. You know, our, our mutual friend, you know, Pilar, she is another one of them. You guys are the ones that control the minds and, and, and the attitudes and the personality, growing their personalities of our kids. Mm-hmm. A little background. We have you in here today because on Saturday, we'll be doing a gratitude ride. On Saturday, we'll be doing a gratitude ride where we're raising money. This is our second annual gratitude ride. Last year, we were able to raise uh, over $6,000 for three schools, Harborside, I believe. Uh, damn, I always lose track of the schools, you and me both, bro. Uh, but this year, yes. this year, we're going with Finney, John J. Montgomery, and Harborside again. These schools were chosen by the YMCA based on a demographic that indicates which schools could use the most financial assistance to end the year. When your school came up, we reached out, well, one of your friends reached out, a mutual friend of ours, Tony, Tony Uribe, and he brought forth your name. He's like, hey, if you guys are going to talk about John J. J. Montgomery, please talk to my friend Hector. He is a counselor there, blah, 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 woo, woo. And I was like, okay, it would be awesome to kind of dissect the importance of these funds going to there. Why is John J. Montgomery being chosen as this school? What, what, what is the environment that these kids are learning in? Obviously, you know, we, we wish we could raise money and, and help all of the schools, but your guys' school came up and you are a counselor at that school. So I kind of wanted to know the dynamics of what goes on in this school. What is the demographic? What kind of students are there? Where is the school located? What is the impact of money going to these families and, and, and students at this school going to feel like since you're, 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 you have boots on the ground there, you have eyes in the field, you can tell us, hey, you know what? This is gonna help in this way. Right. So that's why I was excited to talk to you. And then upon the conversations that we're having, you just started opening 105,000 other yeah. doors. I don't wanna say yeah. shit. I just wanna sit back and just listen to you, like yeah. spit, spit your knowledge for the next hour, man. Yeah, well, well, you know what the thing is that we cannot only focus on one perspective, right? Because there's multiple layers and multiple lenses, right? It's like a community, bro. It's like we're all collective human beings, right? And for us to respond to certain things, we have to have a collectivity because in a westernized ideology, but we're very individualistic, right? Everything, if you talk about mental health, if you talk about psychology, everything. All we do, all we see is the mind, but not the body, right? Anyhow, so Montgomery's located, bro, on, on 4th and Anita Street, right? It's right next to that famous Iglesia Guadalupe, okay. right? right next door, that's the school. 
and historically the demographics of, of that population, bro, has been very um, stagnant with, within a lot of like community violence, community trauma, social trauma, the lack of resources. As of now, um, Montgomery Elementary is, from what I know in the statistics that I have, even the district has played their number one in low socioeconomic families, mm. bro. So 96% of the kids speak Spanish in an English only school. And about 40 to 50% of these students, we're at a 320 student population, bro, at least like 50 or 60% of them live in Tijuana. What kind of a disadvantage does 96% of the students being Spanish speakers in an English school legitimately, what does that look like? What does that put, what kind of an eight ball does that put the students behind? I mean, one, they, they get lost, right? Mm. If we go back historically, bro, it started in 1982, right? When it was like the English only programs. And I lived then, in, and so I went to um, Kimball Elementary and National I City, lived uh, yeah. English only. So when I didn't speak, when I spoke Spanish, I got in trouble for it. That was before, right? And then they ruled it, the Supreme Court ruled it, like, you know, it was really unreasonable for them to speak that, but they just changed the name. They just call it sink or swim. And then it's your choice, right? If you want to put your kid in English only or not. And so a lot of our families want to succeed in this country. So they place their kids in English only. And, and that's the struggle, right? Because some of these kids don't have the foundational elements to understand one language. One language, Spanish, let alone two. Right? To get let alone yeah. two, right? And it becomes very challenging for them. So what happens is that gap gets bigger and bigger. And that's one of the things at Montgomery, bro, that historically has been that program. Knowing that, the de cultural demographics there, right? Or Mexicanos, Mexicanos, Americanos, and why have those programs only? Why not provide for them you know, a, a, an element where they can have opportunities to learn their own language, at least one? Because if you look at research, it talks about when we learn one language, what well, base of one language, it's much easier for us to acquire a second language. When we, when we don't reach that critical period, which is about 10, 11, 12 years old. However, when these kids, right? And then if, if we... Humbly look at our familias. Well, how many of our familias bro, really have the academic language? And I hear like school districts and, and, and programs and when they do summits, speak to the kids in their academic language. My mom never spoke. My mom's academic language is hijo la chingada. Was yeah. right? That was her academic language. Yeah, right? So I, I never grew up with the specific base language. So I struggled. Bro, I was in Southwestern College and I started in ESL, Southwestern College. They don't call it ESL, but just for references, right? English, it was e English five. And it was like, the car is red mm. at 23. My question is, where were the schools? How come I didn't get, you know, the, net, the resources that I needed to speak this quote unquote standard language? And like me, many colleagues. And that has a lot to do with how we become quote unquote successful in society, right? because we have this vernacular language we have to speak to communicate to others. But at Montgomery, bro, with these kids have all these limitations and they, so they have lack of opportunity, lack of opportunity for them and lack of opportunity for communication, lack of opportunity to understand the capitalist social systems that they're gonna go work for, right? And I say work for because it's like a social reproduction of subjugated students working for capitalist companies. We don't speak to these kids on become your own CEO. Right. They don't have any programs at that schools where well, at, now we're integrating these programs. Right. The principal, Dr. Budos, comes with this knowledge based ideology of creating spaces for these kids where they can become. Right. Um, so they can brainstorm what they can do in their own vision when they become you know, adults. What do they want to become? When do we ever speak to our kids like that? What is the major difference between a school like Montgomery Elementary and a school, I don't know, like a La Casa Canyon Elementary or North County San Diego Elementary? 
as it relates to the implementation of these programs and these spaces that the children are put together to learn in? It, like it's the resources, right? It's like it's like homie D- Jeff Duncan Andrade talks about, right? Is is the communities that get the most, that have the most, get the least, and the communities that have the least get the most, right? And then achievement, there's a gap. And then we get shocked, right? The schools and low-performing schools are not performing well mm-hmm. because there's a design a system designed for that, right? It, it's like, I'll give you an example, right? Let, let's just say, let's just say these schools that come from impoverished community, right? Streetwater High School, the high school I went to. Let's just say they get the resources that La Costa Canyon has, La Jolla, right? That Tory Pines have. Let's just say they get they get those resources, right? And then they succeed and then they get they get placed into these universities. Where are those kids going to go to school? Where's La Costa Canyon kids? Where's um, um, La Jolla kids, Tory Pine kids going to go to school? Do we really believe that um, Sweetwater students are going to take the seats of these kids from La Jolla? Do we really believe? That's the hope. That's the hope. That's right? the hope, you know? Hey, man, what, what would those resources be, though? Like, give me a little detail. What are the differences? Re- is it the amount of teachers? Is it... Uh, Monies. Like, but how does that impact... North County schools compared right. to schools we're talking about. Well, one, how, how you mentioned, right, is money. That's what the number one resource in our country, in our world, right, okay. is money. We're driven by it. We're governed by it. Right? And that translates to And what? that translates into not sending teachers to do professional developments, right, because we can hire other teachers or hiring teachers that are academic coaches that are very well prepared to teach other teachers mm. when you're talking about a public school system because teachers have been there for years, right? So when you're there 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we have archaic methods. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we are in an evolved society and now we have new neural-based science that help us understand to teach these kids, but there's no money to send the teachers or bring in other resources that can help and provide opportunities for these students, right? Mm-hmm. That's one. And to the distribution of income for these kids, the students I work with, bro, they, they, their laptops don't even work, mm-hmm. right? And they're old school laptops. But if you go to the West side, bro, they got brand new Macs, MacBook mm-hmm. Pros. Right? These kids don't have those opportunities. One technology, we're a technological world. And these kids are not taught to navigate the technological devices. Nevertheless, know what to do in technology because we're in a tech world. But if we look at public school systems, marginalized communities, we're five, 10 years behind what society really is, right? And five, 10 years behind where these kids, by the time they reach high school or higher ed, bro, they're not going to be caught up. It's too late at it's that point. Late, yeah. Right? That, that's only academic-based. But now let's put it into critical thinking perspectives, right? What's really going on in society? So then I can bring in forms of critical race theory, right? When do we ever teach these kids about forms of discrimination, forms of, of racism, what they're going through in their own communities, right? That they're being marginalized. We don't give language and context to the kids' experiences in their community, right? So then we norm their process, we norm their experiences. And then they see it as normal, right? They don't understand what impoverished community is because we don't talk about it. We don't give it context to their experiences, right? Or forms of immigration status that a lot of these families come from Tijuana here. I have kids crying because no mama can't come to see them graduate yeah. because she's undocumented, she was deported, right? Those are the experiences that our kids have. And, and we don't shed the light on them, right? We talk about equity but we don't provide resources in Spanish for the familias or someone that comes with the relevancy to understand the mental health aspect and familias for us to respond to those needs, right? We're dealing with kids who have, their parents have PTSD, clinical depression, chronic stress, chronic fatigue, cancer, 
And these families don't have the insurances to get access or what I call social epidemiology, right? The equitable um, resources that communities have as opposed to affluent communities. So in your role as a family counselor, general counselor here at Montgomery Elementary, what does that job look like on a day-to-day basis? What, what, what are the conversations you have, one, with the students, two, I, I'm assuming with your colleagues, and three, with the families of these students? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I do, I have to look at, I have to assess the mental health of the kids first, right? What is the community's um, mental health elements? That these kids that we come from to our population, our student population come with a lot of these limitations, right? They don't have internal resources to know how to cope with their own experiences. And then I speak to the families. So as the counselor, bro, I respond to the familias and most counselors in schools don't do that. They just work with the kids. With the children only. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's really a need to work with the families because if you're talking about a three, four, five-year-old kid and he's living in domestic violence, Okay, you can work with the kid, but he goes back to the war yeah. zone. If there's cracks in the foundation, it's going to be very hard to build anything Definitely. on that foundation. So, yeah, that, it's a very prominent role that you hold, man. And it surprises me that this kind of role doesn't exist in all of the schools. Right. It took something like a pandemic where funds funds were needed to be reallocated or built into these programs for your job to come into existence. Right. I agree with you. You know, sometimes crisis helps us do different things. Exactly. Right? Yes. Like yes. even when there's a crisis in relationship, I go get the help, right? Yeah. Because she says, I'm going to leave you. Me van a dejar, cabrón, no. I'm going to help, so, I won't, so she yeah. doesn't leave me. But these are the demographics, bro, that we're dealing with, right, on a day-to-day. And so, honestly, I see a lot of these kids, impulsivity, physical irregulation, right? They don't have, like, the regulation process or know how to sue themselves. Um, I'm talking about more like the neurophysiology of students, right? And so how does the system respond? We punish them, right? We send them in timeout. I mean, now the, the district allocated some forms of programs called MTSS, multi-tier systems of support. And what that looks like, that looks into, like, integrating social-emotional learning programs right, to help the kids, which is good, right? Because we respond with something already. And the multi-system of support is kind of like a data gathering system that we d- gather data and see how that's working. And in my perspective, it's like, cool, right? But I know that there are certain things that they need other than SEL, right? They need other forms of support and intervention that's going to help the kids understand their own physiology. And what I'm talking about is there's this division between the mind and the body, right? And so when we talk about trauma, community trauma, social trauma, family trauma, or just the abuse these kids have gone through, right? Social emotional learning is good. But when we talk about social emotional learning, they don't talk about trauma. And I'm talking about hardcore trauma. Whether they're seeing their mamas um, um, medicated all the time, or their mamas themselves are going through domestic violence. And then there's a huge gap between the academic schooling culture and the culture they're coming from. Because my day-to-day, bro, is this. Mm-hmm. This is my day-to-day. These kids talk about perreo. I'm talking about third, fourth graders, bro. And then these kids talk about narco to corrido music. So how am I going to respond to those needs when their ideology, bro, of these girls says, I want to marry a narco, right? That's, that's the, what they're thinking because that's what they're exposed to, right? And so how do I respond to those needs? How do I help a young girl who's a fifth grader dating a sixth grader and she's already in domestic violence? And I name it domestic violence because once I intervened and I assessed her situation and she started saying, he doesn't let me talk to my friends. He tells me it's my fault. Jeez. And I was like, bro, she's only 11 years old. And she's in a quote unquote domestic violent relationship. But she has no idea that she's in that, right? And that's going to turn into some, a habit 
And it's going to continue on in her, in her career moving forward. Because our schools norm that unconsciously. And when I say our schools norm it, I'm not making responsible to schools, but we are responsible as educators that represent a school system. And however responsible, we don't have conversations with that, right? We don't. We say, okay, we're going to refer you out to, the, to, to a psychologist and a therapist, right? But as school systems, in our curriculum, there's nothing about healthy development or healthy relationships. I had a reality check the other day. Um, my friend and I, Gus, we, we, we go to a golf course in National City and it borders a school. Yeah. So we're waiting to, like, to get our turn in the tee box. And we're just kind of, I think it's Las Palmas. Yep, and we're, Las just, Palmas. we're just hanging out, waiting for our turn. And the, the playground is right over where we're about to tee off from. And we hear a little girl like talking to another little girl and she was just kind of going over like, well, my mom already wants to put me on birth control because she doesn't want to like, be a grandma. And then me and Gus kind of like turn our heads and look at each other like, bro, this is a fucking elementary school. Like what kind of a conversation, what, what, what kind of a, a habit is being taught? What kind of like, I guess a tradition, a, a, a belief is being passed down to this. I don't know. How old is a, a sixth grader? 11? Yes. 10, How, you know, and that's assuming they're a yep. sixth grader. This could have been easily a fourth grader. And we're like, we looked at each other and we both have kids. You know, she has a young, he has a young girl. I have a young, three young boys. And we're like, holy shit, man. Like what really, what's really going on out here? Are we that out of touch? Right. And it sounds like that is what's going on. Yeah. I mean, and, and if, we, if we reflect on it, right. What us, what do we get as sixth graders to be in a relationship? Right. What is it that they really ask? Comfort, acceptance, love, something that they're lacking at home. You know, those cracks in the foundation. This is maybe the things that fill those cracks in the foundation and make their life worth, you know, keep going. Right. And so what they also get, you know, you you detailed and you narrated perfectly, bro. It's attachment. Mm -hmm. So who who do we attach to mama? Right. So, and this is, this is natural form of life, bro. Right. Mama gives birth. Baby, he's picked up, he's, you know, he's spanked in the butt a bit and the baby cries. That's the first language, bro, crying, right? And then the baby's placed for the mama, right? Unless, you know, the baby's sick, they have to take him, but the baba's placed with the mom. What does that baby do? It's got that bond. Got that bond, he's a calma, yeah. doesn't cry. That's natural. We don't teach these kids to breathe five times and hold on and relax. No llores porque eres niño. We Count to 10. Them, right? <laughs> that's the bonding, that's the attachment. But what happens today with a young kid's in attachment, bro? Mamas go back to work, especially those that come from certain um, um, impoverished communities that they, she has to work. There's no option. There's no option. There is zero option. So now you now you detach. And so what does this do? What does the child does when it cries for mom? They dissociate, right? And now you have this disconnection of psychological, emotional bond because it's my form to survive. And so when I dissociate, it's survival. That's just the mechanism of the neurobiology of our bodies, right? And so I repress a lot of those emotions, sensations, loneliness, depressions, or sadness, right? And so what happens as I grow up? Kids become my attachment figures. And so that's why mis amigos are important. They're everything. They're everything. Gangs, they're everything. That's what it is, right? And so then we perpetuate, right, this stereotype on gangs and kids, I'm speaking in the sense of like authority figures, criminal justice system, medical models, behavior models. And where do we have medical and behavior models? School systems. We use two models, bro. Medical model, we evaluate kids, right? And then diagnose them in society, even in schools. I mean, in, in school psychologists don't diagnose much like clinical elements, but academic, you know, functioning of the brain, the cognitive abilities, and then behavior models. But that's not, bam, consequences. We do the same thing in society. With these, right? They have a misbehavior in society. You break a rule, 
you go to you go to you go to jail or prison. You graduate from a, a school system to a real life model. Yep. And so what do we create? A school to prison pipeline. Mm. Right? And where do you see the school to prison pipeline? In a lot of these impoverished communities. So how do we educate these young kids? How do you? In a perfect world, Hector, what school offers a model that would work at like a Montgomery Elementary? Is there a school that offers a certain model that resources are not an issue? Right. You know, it's not an issue. And here you go. This is this is fifty million dollars from Montgomery from Montgomery Elementary. Right. How do you allocate those funds? Where do you allocate those funds? What is it that you're doing? to create programs or something that speaks directly to the demographic of student that goes to Montgomery Elementary. Right. Well, look, one of the, one of the allocated um, in how it could be distributed is providing kids opportunities to go on certain field trips okay. to leave their communities mm -hmm. so they can see beyond yep. what they've normed to see, right? Because like, we get so accustomed to our surroundings and that's yeah, it. Because and then that's all we know. That's all we know. And we norm it, right? And so when we grow up and we see violence or we perpetuate mm -hmm. or we as males, you know, um, 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 just act on violence, bro. It's normal to me, right? But then we see these young men as like, oh, listen, Malo, he's a bad one. Nah, he's manifesting his trauma, the social trauma and community trauma. So providing those opportunities to these kids to leave the community, right? Anything, even visit at universities, right? My niece, bro, my niece graduated a year ago and she went to San Diego State, right? She was admitted to San Diego State. I took her to San Diego State. The schools never took her. She had no idea where it was. And it was a trip. She got accepted to San Diego State. But she had no idea how to get no there, where to go, or how to do it. So that's where There's I'm There's a disconnect. <laughs> that's a huge disconnect. Yeah, but we have this ideology in school systems, you know, um, um, school and school and pathway to college and pathway. And we, we just kind of digging and ramming, bro. We integrated, right? And these kids don't even know where, at least my niece, but that was her experience, right? So those opportunities for these kids to leave or even have access to resources like technology, right? Or um, the reason that I got here is because with Tony, when I was talking to him, bro, I said that a lot of our schools, especially at Montgomery, bro, a lot of our sixth graders are struggling to even make funds to go to camp, right? They might not go because of the lack of funding. So they're, they're, they're fundraising, right? And then the talk we got from community for someone in the community was, well, that way they learn how to be responsible mm. to make money so they can appreciate, appreciate what yeah. they have. That's a deficit-based thinking. Ignorant, ignorant question. Ignorant, you know, but- how does a school like Montgomery Elementary get overlooked with funding or do these funds just go somewhere else and they just never find a school like Montgomery Elementary? How does that happen? Bro, I, I wish I knew, to be honest with you, because I, I don't have thorough knowledge of that, you know, the distribution of funding, but I will tell you this. Because you guys are in the Chula Vista Elementary yes, School District. we're at the CBSD, bro. And the... The way I've seen it, there's schools that have a lot of funding in CVESD. And, and like I said, that's the disproportionate, right? That's what we call social epidemiology. Uh -huh. So your epidemiology is, you know, your study of medicine or diagnosis. And then these resources are distributed, quote unquote, equally into certain communities, right? Look at, look at Montgomery, bro. Where do we have a Kaiser? We don't. Go to a fluent community by the 905 in the old time Mesa community. Nice Boom, homes. Right there. Boom. Kaiser. Even go east. Even boom. Go you east. got sharp. Exactly. You got you are this. You have that. You have Pelomar. You know. National City. Paradise Hospital. That's old school hospital. Needs a lot of reparations. Yeah. Right. We don't have access to that. We have clinics. Right. We don't have access to that funding where we can bring a lot of medical doctors. I mean, slowly we're integrated. Slowly. Right. But these children don't have these opportunities and they don't see beyond what they're experiencing. So we norm it. 
right? And it becomes norm. And the, then the whole thinking is go to school, go to school, right? And so these kids to survive, I'm struggling as a middle school, high school, and then I'm, I'm, I'm in college and then I work and me gusta el dinero and then I fall in love. And then we perpetuate that cycle of a young mama, right? Single mama. So the education that needs to also be brought into the schools is human development, bro. normal psychology. And that's what I talk about these children, about normal psychology development, relationship-based um, um, perspectives, how they see themselves with their novio, their novia. If so, they choose to become a mama. We never talk to our kids about, hey, when you grow up and if you decide to be a mama, this, this is your limit as, with principles and dignity. We don't have those conversations. Or with young men, if you look at this patriarch ideology, who do we continue to blame? Women, right? I still hurt women. Mija, when you leave, don't cuidado. Be careful because you know how men are. When do we ever teach a young boys to honor, respect women? Mija, when you go out, you got to respect a woman, right? Starts in the home. Right? And then you now you have in this country this clash too, though, right? Because you try to do something good for the woman. The woman's like, Shh, I don't need that. that I'm independent. Ideology. I'm independent. I don't need you to open my door. I don't need you to pay for me, right? And it was a trip because I was in this... At this meeting, right? And the Facebook Live and is all psychologists and, and therapists. And so I was going to speak at the same time with this girl. And I told her, oh, no, go ahead, go first. Her response was, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to submit to patriarchy. Jeez. <laughs> and my response was like, damn, you know what? I was brought up like my abuelita with indigenous-based practice, right? Honor women and I don't go first. Because I'm honoring your energy as a young woman. And again, that's the ideology, bro. Did you voice that, that, that opinion? Yeah. And what, what was the response? Well, she just kind of stood quiet, bro. And I said, and you better be careful because you're a therapist. That is an implicit bias into your own therapy when you're working with men. What a great example, right. man. What a great example. I'm glad you shared that with her because I, I think a lot of people don't understand the other view. Right. right. They, don't, they don't see another perspective. Goes probably into a lot of things. I like how you shared that with her. Hey, can I, can I go a couple steps back? Because yeah, you yeah, said yeah, something that um, real practical that's happening at, at the school with, with six, with, I'm assuming sixth grade camp, yes. is that? Yeah. And yeah. there's a fundraiser happening for that. Can, can you give me a little information about that, please? Yeah, but so um, the teacher kind of um, put on her Facebook, right? That's why I kind of came through my senses when knowing where she started GoFundMe, right? For anybody to kind of help out because a lot of these kids are limited, right? We have limited funds at our school and, and, and we have to pay for our sixth grade camp. Mm -hmm. Right, and they're gonna go to Camp Marston, right, which is part of the YMCA. I went there as a young yeah, sixth grader. Too, What's bro. up, man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had my Camp first Marston. kiss at Camp Marston. What's going on? <laughs> I got memories there. <laughs> I had no tooth, neither did she. It was all good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so these kids, bro, um, and, 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 and some of the kids were sad about it, bro. And some of these kids had this kind of defeatist mindset. Ah, ya pa que, me voy a Si es mucho dinero, es a lot of money. Right again. This is this is what they learn at home. Right? For perspective, how much does it cost to send one child to Camp Marston for a sixth grade camp? So it, it's about like three hundred, from what I heard, for per per child, per child, three hundred, okay. four hundred per child. Right. And you have about a hundred graduating sixth graders into middle I school. I think it's about. I think it's about a hundred. Gotta look into it, but I think it's about like something around there, right? Or that, maybe half math? of it, something like that. What's that math? Right. What's that math? The uh, thirty thousand. So, and, and so, yeah, so these kids have these limited, you know, opportunities to go there. But so we started raising funds, right? Um, I know we did pajama day. So Friday's always two daughter ticket. And so um, kids started buying pajamas. You come in pajamas, which is a form of fundraising. And so other ideas we kind of provide is kind of doing like a movie night at the school. Um, but it's very um, challenging with the COVID, right? So then I told the we should do like a drive-in, right? And so we have decent space to do like a little drive-ins and just kind of then sell chocolate, abuelita, whatever, right? Anything that kind of gets these kids going and, and these families that kind of help 
um, like raising those funds, right? And these, these, again, these are the challenges that this school, this community, like many other schools, right? You guys name other ones as well. Because I worked at Harvard side too, right? About in 2012. Similar situation Same financially situation. as well. Financially, Another school that gets overlooked and doesn't really get- Financially, bro, mental health, everything. How does Harvard side relate uh, demographically to- Montgomery, as it relates to, I guess, on, on the map, are they relatively close to each other? They're very close. I mean, culturally, the demographic of that community is very close. To okay. It's about, like, three miles apart from each other. Yeah. Right? It's not very, mm. not very far. Yeah, about three miles. And then and you also have, like, Old Tai Elementary, right? That's, like, maybe three, four blocks from our school. And then Lauterbach, that's up the street, right? So that community demographics. And, and, and all of you guys suffer from the same lack yeah. of funding. Yep. It's not like, oh, we'll show Montgomery Elementary. We won't give them funding. It's everybody in yeah, these areas. Much, yeah. So if you look at like the cultural demographics and, and just the placement of the schools in the community, right? The transgeneration or the multi-generational violence has gone on before. I mean, Sacalmado, right? But I mean, you're talking about from generations and generations, right? And me having conversations with families. So for me to understand the kids, I have to talk to the families, right? To how does that work, man? It, how, how do you approach a situation like that where you, you know, there's little, little Juanito and you're going to meet his parents. Right. Do you have some sort of preparation before you go talk to his parents? Cause like you said, man, the generations and generations uh, of history in these, in these communities, whether it's gang related or, or whatever it is, is there a certain way or a certain checklist that you go down before you meet the parent and be like, okay, yeah. what am I walking into here? <laughs> you know, it is challenging. It is challenging because you also want to respect their experience. Exactly. Right? But I think just the experience I have, man, is the way I started is just kind of like, Hey, you know, we care about the, about your kid. And so we want to provide the best for him. Um, but then again, I kind of go into the spiel and education on, but the kid is manifesting what he's really going on. But I could, I take it deeper. I even talk about parole. It starts in pregnancies and before pregnancies. So I can get it all clinical here with neuroscience and stuff like that, bro. But a lot of like multi-generational trauma is passed on. The violence trauma is passed on, right? Genetically. But it genetic, there's genetic predispositions. What activates those genes is what we call epigenetics. And epigenetics pretty much is just the way you're, is, is the experiences that your brain develops in comparison to the environment you're kind of raised on, right? And so I get very clinical like that with parents. I said, it even starts in the womb. What's their reaction? You know, some of them, get, some of them start to cry. Yeah. Yeah. You know why, bro? Because when I start to talk about, look, I, I'm going to kind of go a little bit back, bro. A lot of these families, a lot of these, these not only at Montgomery, bro, just in general, my practice and my experiences with doing workshops, a lot of these parents, bro, they didn't even want to have their kids, right? Uh -oh. Not that they don't love them, right? But they didn't want to have them, right? Same thing with my story, bro. I grew up and my mom is like, it was an oopsie, right? Yeah. Right. But then again, well, here I am, bro. But that really has a long lasting effect on the way you take care, bro, because of brain development. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is we call symbiosis as the attachment of the mama with that child or that, that baby. Right. And so what starts to happen is when baby gives birth, right? The mamas give birth, they have this sense of like, damn. And, and so they're sitting in my office and I do a screening called adverse childhood experiences screening. So it looks at 10 categories, all forms of abuse that the mom herself lived, right? Any form of abandonment, rejection, divorce, separation, any family member with a mental health issue, um, anybody with um, any form of substance abuse, right? Um, so there are 10 categories, bro. And if you have four ACEs or more, you are more likely to have this disease or pathology in the future and or you're at risk for having chronic diseases right multiple sclerosis forms of cancers and this is all backed up by science neuroscience neuropsychology all forms of sciences 
And so this is my conversation with the parents. That's a heavy ass conversation, Hector. Jesus Christ. But you know what happens? Moms open up. They're like, you know what? I'm diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. I don't know what to do with my kid. Right. And that's where the work begins. Okay. This is what we can do. That somebody wants to buy into what you're bringing to the table. Because I'm pretty sure you don't get everybody. not all parents are oh, going to be like, I hey, with you. Hector, deja decirte lo que yeah. ha pasado en mi vida. You know, like, I'm pretty sure it's like, no, man. Uh, yes. And you know why? Because it's hard for me to go back to my past, right? And talk about my abuse, whether it's sexual, whether it's physical, whether it's psychological, to talk about my mama's fight, to talk about the abandonment of my papa. And parents talk about it. I've done it in workshops and they cry, right? And so this is where we talk about what Dr. Gabor Matei talks about compassionate inquiry. We have to teach them how to be compassionate to themselves because we're self-critical. Kids grow up like that, right? That the defeatist thinking I was talking about. So when kids have this ideology, right, of the of, of being critical of themselves, like you mentioned right now, right, um, in sixth grade, uh, that you overheard the conversation of this girl getting, you know, being on a pill or having some form of contraception, right? These kids talk about simil- these similarities, but they're also like, yeah, I'm not good looking. These are third graders. And what in the mindset of comparisons to the standard of beauty? So that's why we struggle with women because of the standard of beauty society has created. And then the hypersexualization of women and men, right? These are the conversations in schools. But these conversations in schools are not shown in, in board meetings. They're not talked about in board meetings. I talk about them with my teachers and, 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 and my um, principal, my admin. And she's very good, bro. She loves these conversations because this is what we're really going through. So how do we create those critical analysis for these kids or the critical thinking elements for them to become a healthy adult, a healthy woman and a healthy man, right? And how do I become an honorable man to your hija or to your hijo, right? Because as fathers, bro, we want someone good for our our daughters, right? And so how do we as school systems respond to that, right? Because we talk about common core and college going red. I'll be honest with you, bro. Universities ain't going to save us. Because look at how many doctor degrees, masters graduate out of the most elite schools. And look at our global economy, the disparities in our country, right? Of housing. And you're talking about the elitist schools that are graduating these kids on economics and so on and so forth. I have conversations with the kids about oligarchies and what that means to their community, right? How is that affecting you as a young student? That's critical thinking, right? That's what Paulo Freire talked about, right? That we have to teach these kids to have a language to read society, not be oppressed by the same yeah, system, be subjugated by it. Of all the things you said, man, that, that one is, that one rings the truest of all, man. And, and, and these are the experiences these kids are having, right? And in general, and, and in speaking in, in our culture, demographic, but you also, we can also talk about, you know, African-American communities, right? So these are the experiences that we have. So in, in my school at Montgomery, as of now, bro, I have a caseload of, I want to say 20, 20 kids, caseload meaning like kids I specifically see. Okay. Right. So out of these 20 students, 26 of their parents are clinically diagnosed. And when I say 26 of these, of these kids' parents is because mom and dad are in the home with forms of PTSD, any form of clinical depression, anxieties, right? 20 kids out of these 20 kids, hundred percent of them, right? Are clinically diagnosed. And out of those 20 kids, 
16 of them come from domestic violence homes. So then I'm sitting there, right? Teachers calling, this kid is misbehaving, no se porta bien. It's like, dang, do you understand what he's going on? I don't think you understand what's going on at home with this kid. Right? And the thing is, some of these- Do you have those conversations with the teacher? I do. All right, I'm a teacher right now, and I'm telling you about Clint. You know, Clint, he's just wild. You know, he, he doesn't listen. He's, he's always loud. He's asking this. He's, you got to talk to him. What's going on? And then you get to learn about his situation. Like, what do you come back and tell the teacher? Do you tell her to approach him differently or? And also it sounds like uh, maybe the report you're getting back from the teacher is usually a kind of a negative perspective. Right. Probably not. It's never going to be positive. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, but yeah. even imagine if the dialogue, that means the teacher's lens would have to be looking for those strengths as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So it would be more of a conversation instead of this punitive Go, go right, fix them. Go right. fix them. Fix the kid. This dude's yeah. broken. Please fix him. And yeah. don't send him back until it's done. So yeah. that's where we, that's what I was talking about earlier, how we work in silos, but we don't work collectively, mm-hmm. right? Because you're the mental health expert. So you got to fix them. Like, they see us like a magic wand, mm-hmm. right? So the conversation that would take place with you is kind of, uh, and, and, and sharing it to you, not in detail, because also to respect, right? His yes, home, correct. Right? Unless a teacher asks, but one of the things that we, that I also say a lot is just kind of building relationship, right? Because- Today, bro, like science, today, neuroscience, neuropsychopathology, um, neuropsychology, all these sciences talk about the best way to buffer someone's adversities is having a relationship because relationship creates safety, protection, security, right? That again, goes back to attachment theory. <laughs> we get the same thing with mama hugs. Niño llora, mama hugs, se calma. But look at our ideology in our country. And I've heard other therapists and parenting experts write books and time out. I'm in need. I'm crying and I'm in need. Estoy llorando. And so now we isolate you. Go to the corner, face yeah. the wall, figure it out. Right? Calm and down. And what's the message I get as a young kid? That my emotions don't matter to my mom or dad. Right? That's the message I get. And it con- it's a continued practice at home. Again, it's not the parent's fault. Because- Jesus Christ, I'm learning how to be a parent today, bro. Let's get at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And so the, the, those are the parenting practices because that's what parents learned. Yes. Right? They learned those practices. But that's the message these kids get. So what happens when it's like a constant daily thing that kid dissociates and says, my emotions don't matter. So then what happens to this young boy? Grows up and then he gets married or then obvious as he's an adult, he doesn't know how to navigate the relationships with their significant others. How is this apparent today? Look at what happened in COVID. Domestic violence went up. All these other forms of mental health issues went up, right? And it wasn't COVID. People think it's COVID. No, COVID activated. COVID was the factor of Boom. It was a removal of people from the routine. It was a removal of people from the distraction of what was really going on with them yeah. in the first place. These things came into the surface because you were removed from going to work, yeah. going through these checklists of daily items that I got in. All that's gone. You're staying at home. Yeah. And you're hanging out with your husband or you're hanging out with your wife. Boom. Yeah. Salió todo, bro. Everything, bro. And, and you said something important, bro. It's, it's the distraction, right? Yeah. I, I distract myself. I was work. working a lot. Work. Now work. I have to be at home with the There's no more distraction. Now you're faced. No more. Now I'm faced with you someone. have to deal with it. Yeah. Plus it, the buffering you talked about. You lost ah, connections. People's connections were being, exactly. they didn't have them. They didn't have the practices that they did, right? So now yep. you're stuck without, without truly healing. And you know what I said even before COVID, bro? That we as school institutions, right? Because we, so when, when COVID hit, we had a collapse of systems, right? Mental health systems, educational systems, because where do the kids go to school? With us. So we were, we're day caregivers, right? We take care of kids, right? So the parents are good doing their stuff or working because now when they had to be at home, mama didn't know how to connect with their own kid. So we as the system created dependency on these parents for us to take care of the kids. And then 
there was a situation in the school with kids. How do we respond? Oh, mama, don't worry. We'll take care of it. Right. And that's how schools respond. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work with the kid. And, and that's why I'm like, nah, I got to work with the parents. Yeah. This kid eventually has to go, go back, back home. home. Yeah. And so there's this lack of connection. Right. That's like human development psychology. But then let's put it in another perspective. I did my own assessment in schools, bro. How many hours do kids go to school? Right. They just from eight to three normally, right? Some of them to 15 to 30, but to make, you know, numbers, you know, more accurate, eight to three, that's seven hours. That's 35 hours a week. You're talking about TK, four years old till 11 years old. That's 35 hours, right? And, and, then, and then they go to after school programs, another three hours. That's 15 extra hours, right? That's like 52 hours a week from four to 11 years old. And then they get home and we complain as parents, you know, haciendo su tarea, he doesn't want to do this. Shit, 52 <laughs> hours a week. So if you look at development. The young man's working overtime yeah. at school. Even more, right? Because parents don't even work overtime. Yeah. Teachers, go, teachers work, when you talk about unions, we work about 6.5 hours to seven hours in our contract. So we go to school 35 hours and boom, I'm done. I'm out, right? Some teachers would check and check out. I just check in. I check out. Once it hits 2.30, I'm out. I'm a ghost. I'm go. And I'm protected, right? And these kids continue. And then these kids come back the next day and they're sleeping. They're tired. Then teachers say, he's misbehaving. Shit. Look at brain development. We're creating and we're perpetuating these brain altering stress factors on these kids in these communities. And, and these programs are good for the families that need it, right? Because my mom's a single mom and she has to, she has to uh, work and it's good for them to get picked up at that time because we, we help go to affluent communities. Tienen a la chacha, right? They have someone they can pay for it. He can be at home, have some food. Again, those are the disparities that we don't even think about, right? But we still hold these kids that demands of us as a school system that if you don't comply with the demands, you're the bad kid. You're the bad, yeah. And saying these kids grow up Middle school, high school, they have mental health issues or they can't soothe and they cannot regulate their emotions. So what do I do? Hit the pipa. Mm. And now the vaping, right? And do drugs. Why? Because that helps me. And so we have a lot of these um, adverse ideologies and we don't understand, right? Why kids misbehave. So the behavior is the language. I have to decodify where that's coming from, right? Because we, if it's parents, if it's, if it's, if it's, um, medical providers, if it's school systems, we respond to the symptom of the behavior, right? But we don't go to the root. We look at, we look at um, symptoms and not causes. Topical solutions. Yep. So we look at effects and not causes as one. Yeah. Right? So what is the cause? It's psychosocial factors, right? The psychological dynamics in my society or in my community. And a lot of these girls in my office talk about, even in Tijuana, they talk about narco trafficking, y mi tío is part of it, or the neighbor's part of it. So they have... They witness these crimes, right? And they get, they come to school. And what is the conversation, bro? Back to work. But my sister, dude, like my, my, my uncle died. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Back to work. The counselors are, you can see them later. They're grieving, right? That's the system, bro. And we represent those systems, right? So how do we develop these spaces where we can have a collective community where we can educate teachers, on brain development. I was going to ask you that, man. That's exactly where my mind was going. Do you find you that your your teaching cohort is open to what you share? Are you all on the same page? It, it's, it's challenging, bro. It, it is because once this information comes, mm -hmm. 
right? It creates more stressors because what does it do? It makes us responsible to switch our own practices, right? But then again, um, wait, look, I don't want to blame teachers, bro, right? But because teachers themselves, what I call, they go through secondary trauma. So this is like a little psychology on it, bro. Like if I'm the teacher and the kid is acting up and I get angry, has nothing to do with a kid, has a lot to do with my childhood. Triggering something from your past and bringing it it to the surface. Because I see myself in him or in her, right? That's the smoking, that's a Mayan concept. I see myself in you. So I see my niño interior damaged because my mama, when I was crying and I was a baby, my mama me gritaba, me pegaba, me decía, shut up, be quiet. Go on time out, face the wall. Yep. Or, or when we came from, vas a llorar en taquita la chancla. Oh, oh yeah. Quieres llorar de veras? Right. I'll give you something to cry yeah. about. So then I, I don't know how to respond to the emotional, psychological need of that child because it wasn't given to me. So what do I do? I'm incapable of Go it. Go to the office. Yeah. yeah. Y lo mandas a la oficina because he's crying. <laughs> well, what is the principal going to do? <laughs> Suspend him because you're crying? So that doesn't happen. So he goes back to class and the teacher says, why are you back? Well, the principal told me to come back. Sit over there. Okay. My tone of voice. So my tone of voice activates and triggers, re-triggers that student's trauma. And I keep them in fear and in pain. Damn, I'm scared to send my kids to school, bro. <laughs> I'm scared to send my kids to school now. That, and that's the reality, bro. So helping teachers provide professional development. I got a lot of um, friends and colleagues who, who do a lot, like Dr. Medina. Ricardo Medina is good, bro. He does a lot of transformational healing. And so we started utilizing a lot of these indigenous-based perspectives right, into school systems, but that's a challenge because you have a set system, right? That's program-based and we just program the shit out of these kids. Dr. Bruce Perry talked about, it's not programs that help the kids, but relationships, right? And, and, and it's a caring adult that helps buffer a lot of these hundreds. So listen to what I said, it's a caring adult. I never said a licensed caring right, right. adult. So is it a, a, I got you. an easy way out? It's not, bro. It's not because it's, it's the struggle. Mm. Honestly, I think where we don't want to go through is the struggle. Even me, bro, knowing all this, when, when la maestra, hey, you know, the kid is crying again. I'm like, ching, I don't do now what? And honestly, like I myself am guilty of, man, what am I doing wrong? Right? Because my passion is to help the child. Yeah. But I, I understand myself now. It's like, it's not that I'm doing something wrong. It's that kid needs someone to be there for him and her. They're only five and six. I know. That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's blowing my mind. Well, how old's your youngest? Four. Yeah. You know, four. Perspective. Yeah. And and so this is, these are the experiences that that the kids, right, at Montgomery, like other schools go through, right? This is what I'm bringing that. This is the language that these kids have. So me being here, bro, has nothing to do with me. Has a lot to do with the voices of these children that are not heard, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's board meetings and all that. And we talk about, so adults say what goes on into your school without knowing what's going on at the school, Right. So when I speak on, on this, bro, I speak on the behalf of these kids' yeah. voices. This is what I see on yes. a daily basis, and this is what's going on. Right. And these are um, the voices of these kids where we have student voice. The approach that teachers and schools take with these situations, is that the easy way out for them? As opposed to building the relationships and having the kids learn through relationship? Is this kind of like, no, just stick to the plan, stick to the structure, yeah. learn, 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 work on, read this book, do this. That's kind of like the easy way out for them. It, then, is, it is. You know why, bro? Because it keeps them in their survival mode. It helps my survival mode. Because, yeah. yeah, we can, you know, educate teachers and so on and so forth. But then again, I'm speaking to a teacher who, who she or he herself have gone through their own adversity. Their traumas, right? their, their own trauma. issues. Yeah. Under. So what I've done, you know, doc, um, 
Mr. Watkins, he's a school psychologist, right? And from the school district. And I love him. I call him my boo. He's my homie, right? He's an African-American dude. And he teaches at uh, Alliant University. He said, hey, can you want to become and be a guest speaker? I'm like, yeah. So I go and I kind of help. So a lot of what I'm sharing with you, I share it with his. So he teaches school psychologists and school counselors are going to go into schools. So I do a circle and I talk about their own trauma. And you'll, bro, you'll realize how many of these young adults, right? They're in this profession of helping other kids are struggling themselves. I do something called the mask, right? So in front of the mask, you write the way people view you, right? Like you would be viewed, oh, papa, and he has a podcast, and he's good, and he's smart, and he's intelligent. But in back of the paper, right, where you're really hiding from the world. And bro, when you see these young adults write about their insecurity, their own abuse, right? A lot of their own sexual abuse, abandonment, rejection, their own dependencies, their own fears, you're like, shit. These are the ones that are going to go into our system and work with our kids are going through the similar thing. That's the activation that we're triggering. So what happens? I want to rescue you. And if I rescue you, then I disown you because you need your own pain to help you build your own resiliencies. Right? That's the educational processes that a lot of these people need to do. But as, as human beings is natural, right? They like you see your kid and and you want to help them because that's your kid. As papas, we're going to respond, right? That's our, that's our own instinct to protect. Right. But how do we then educate, create conciencia that these kids have to go through their own pain because it helps them build resiliencies, right? It helps them build those resources that they need to survive those mechanisms. But yet my mom are still there. That's healthy. Right. That's healthy. Right. But the thing is how we're re-triggered and then we see ourselves within our own kids because that's what I went through. Jeez. Right. It's a vicious cycle. Oh, bro. It, and it's full it. circle. It is. How do you expect to be loved if you don't love yourself? That's and how do you, you know? And it's, these counters go in. It's an uphill battle for you guys, man. Because you don't know what you're dealing with. And it's a whole spew of kids. Wow. And each one of them has their own issues at home bringing it forward. I agree. With I don't know how you guys do it, man. I don't, I don't, teachers, counselors, psychologists. Everyone involved. I don't. I don't know how you guys do it. It's and overwhelming. I, just sometimes listening to it, just knowing right. that I have three kids in this right. system. And, and the frustrating thing, bro, is that's the system. Yeah. The system knows what these kids are going through, but they just kind of turn their eye around. Right? Yo, they, man, imagine, right? Imagine you get done talking about Montgomery, and then our community at large is like, "Yo, I didn't fucking realize that uh, every kid doesn't get a chance to go to sixth grade camp." Yeah. Like, imagine that, right? And then imagine a community response, like. Hell no, nah, not on my watch. Mm. I can I can get two kids to go. Yeah. I can get three kids to go. Like, like that's our community. Like we stand up for that community, right? Wow. Imagine that those those opportunities can happen. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So now you have a community response. Let's say you get this nice pool of I know you dropped a five million dollars, but I'm saying like yeah. a practical sixty thousand a year, you know, you can get in fundraising a year. Not a lot, but enough. But enough. What, what would be the best use of that money for that school? Man, bro, it's, I mean, I can think of a million things, right? Um, but I think uh, one important one is bringing um, what we call, so schools have what they call academic coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And these academic coaches are the ones that help the teachers and coach them into kind of providing this academic enrichment to teach the kids, right? That's an opportunity itself. Okay. But bringing someone in, they kind of challenge the system. Right, because other schools have academic coaches. I feel like you're that guy. Yeah, it feels like I feel like you are the guy that is put in a, in a situation to challenge what the system is. Right, I you know, and I've challenged it through through my conversations with you and through the parents because, like I said, other counselors don't speak. Well, I mean, they speak to parents, 
So I do what I do is parent consultation. I tell my mom, papa, hey, you come back and I'll continue this conversation with you, right? This counseling and we don't call it therapy because you know the legalities and we're not a clinical exactly. institution, yeah. so on and so forth. So it's parent consultation, right? How can I consult with you to help you with the resources that you need? And then come back, mama, right? Here's the video. Here's um, um, a resource you can, you, can, you can read. If not, you can have this video. So let's talk. Right? And when parents come in, right? Um, Dr. Burgos, a principal, she's always at the door, bro. Buenos dias, buenos dias, buenos dias, right? And so I'm there with her and, hey, como estas, how are you doing today? So she's on board. Oh, she's on board. Hell yeah. Time, that's she's, half the like, battle right there, right? man. And, and, and she's, she provides spaces. And what I love about it is because she trusts me to do what I know what to do. I mean, we worked together for seven years, right? So we know each other and, and she challenges me sometimes, bro, which is good, right? Because sometimes you need to be challenged to see other forms of perspectives as well. But, the, the beauty of it is she provides the space for me to do what I can do. So you've been there a year. I've been there a year. It's my fr- not even, bro. I, I just started this school year. Are, are, so you, are you like in the breaking down yeah. step still, you think? that you, You're still like kind of knocking down things, figuring it out. You know, it's because, I mean, before you rebuild, you got to knock it all down and, and get it to you. the root. Yeah, bro. And I think that's the challenging part, right? Because I come in with this perspective. Yeah. And teachers who have had other forms of perspective is challenging even them right because it's challenging for them to kind of navigate other areas because we take them out of the comfort zone right and i think part of our growth is getting out of our comfort zone but the challenging part is how do we get out of that comfort yeah. zone and be safe with that right and trust that or trust myself to trust that right but but in retrospect or to, to answer your question right all this money so one would be like kind of getting an academic coach what they call it or or someone that's supportive to train or develop professionally educate teachers because there's a difference bro between education and training you know why we train animals, right? We shouldn't train human beings. We need to educate human beings to create conciencia. That's the difference, bro. It's fuck straight up, right? And so we talk about um, training and development. Training and development is like, bro, you train animals at the circus, right? To do what they need to do. You domesticate them to respond to your calling. We do the same thing with teachers, right? We train them, even in university systems, to come back and train the kids. We don't educate our 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 teachers, right? Male and female, right? And that's where I want to come to create that conciencia because by default, you don't need the program, bro. You don't need the checklist. By default, they could trust you, right? And you already buffered a lot of that, but you didn't buffer there and then. It takes time, right? It takes time for this kid to trust, right? Because they, they've been left behind so much, even with their own papa, mama, right? But again, it's not that they did it and their I mean, parents did the best they could for what they know, yeah. right? So this is where I talk about, I don't, I don't blame the parents, bro. I understand the parents, right? They did what they can with what they know. Even the parent, bro, who gives up their own kids. How old are these parents, man? Oh, bro, we, the youngest that I come across is 22. With a five-year-old daughter, she was 17. Are they capable of understanding what you're throwing their way? There's you know what? It's, it's, it's hard, bro. I don't, yeah. You know why? Because they're in her. So my conversation with this parent, and just my own opinion or professional opinion, she's still seeking the love of the, of the babies of the of the other right or her boyfriend because the initial father abandoned her. Mm. So now this young woman is abandoned by the initial relationship, but that goes into her own transgenerational history of being abandoned by her own papa. How can a woman not sustain her own dignity and be like, hey? And I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming her, right? But at least the education and the attachment of my familia, right? That she does not know how to navigate a loss. My own loss is from my own papa or mama, right? Because she, um, papa took off, right? And that impacts young girls, 
right? Especially young boys. My papa leaves, bro. That impacts me, yeah. right? How, how, see, our mamas help us connect to our emotions and to understand emotions of others. Where my papa helps me navigate and survive out there in the wilderness. And this, bro, goes back in like thousands of years, right? The hunters and gatherers. When they went to hunt for food, who did they take? Yep. Young boys to teach them Learn. how to kill because it was survival, right? They didn't, they didn't, if you didn't hunt anything, right? You didn't go into the caveman psychology, right? It was survival. Yeah. Right? You don't hunt, you don't gather, you don't exactly. eat, you don't survive. That's what it is. So who helps this young man how to survive in society when a lot of our men are wounded and hurt and they're working a lot because, you know, I live in the community that rents are going up. So I need to sustain two jobs. And these are the stressors that these kids are, are, are witnessing, right? And mama has to work or mama is living in, in, a, in a relationship with the father's an aggressor because he has his trauma. He's stressed out. Mama doesn't leave because she's undocumented. She doesn't have the language. She has no working skills. And she's in the relationship five, 10 years. And now you create this dependency. And now what do I do as a mama, as a young woman, start all over? I know I do it for my kids. I mean, all this I'm sharing, bro, is what these kids yeah. are experiencing. You see it firsthand, man. Yeah. You see it firsthand. So now what I do then is I create a relationship with the kids at our school and with the teachers, right? Teachers are very good, at least in Montgomery. They, bro, they, they understand a lot of this community because they've been there for they've a while. They've been there, yeah. So they do understand the communities and they're very, I want to say, compassionate and they understand the kids, mm. right? And so that helps the students. That helps the students kind of thrive from their perspectives and their experiences and their adversities. But again, it's how the system, because it doesn't shine light into this. So I have my statistics that I, you know, I'll take on, I'll have conversations with a lot of these board members and stuff like that, right? Because to be honest with you, bro, like I have a problem. I'm conflicted that to campaign or to deal with board members and, and all this stuff that was going on at Chola board, they're going to waste one to $2 million, bro, to deal with the issues of a board member when I have family sleeping right. in the car. Right. But our district talks about what well, we're here for the kids. Really? Mm. Where does that go? Man, I, I, I like everything you're saying is alive. I love it, man. Hitting. I, I do, I do hope that you're, you're obviously sharing that knowledge and wisdom in the community, but I hope you're in those board meetings, man. You find a way to get your voice. Do you find your way to the board meetings? You know, I haven't, bro. Because they need to hear you. Oh, yeah, well, I was gathering this data of this community, bro. So I'm, I want to go in there and have these conversations, right? Because that needs to be, the spotlight needs to be put really on those in authority, right? Again, we go into this oligarchy ideology and perspective. People in authority and power that have the money tell you what to do, where to go, where to disperse it, right? Is we Schools, the neoliberal education of school systems replicate society, mm. right? We replicate it in the school systems. So these young kids that are being taught about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, we're all good. It's, it's interesting. It's good to know about these guys' birthdays and what they did. Wooden teeth. Right. Cherry trees. Right, bro. Right. Down some fucking trees. What's up, dog? But we don't, <laughs> Never share tell the, we don't share the true history of America. Right. The genocide of natives over here. Right. Why is that? Because we want to kind of give, still give this ideology of we're superior to, yep. them, right? That's the white supremacist ideology. Look at movies, wars, who are the heroes? We are. Who are the bad ones? We stereotype other countries, right? And so we, we educate kids like that. Propaganda, just yeah, push it, it, push, is, it push it, push it. And these kids, 
are dressing up as Captain America, mm. already colonizing that mindset, right? And so what do they provide? And then what is it all about war? These kids grow up and what do we have in middle school, high schools? You want to go, you want to go and serve your country, but when do we teach them to become CEOs of their community, right? And to give back to the community. When do we ever teach kids like, Hey, I have a, a young girl say, I want to be a salesman, right? Cause her father is a car salesman. And so she dressed up as I want to be a car salesman. And I said, how about you own your car lot? Expand it. I don't take away your dream or what you want. I'm nobody to impose what you should become. Let's make it bigger. Become your own CEO of that company, right? But don't forget the community where you come from. Don't forget your mama that struggled through her own sacrifices and depression and couldn't sleep, right? For you. How, how, do, you, how do you connect youngsters to where they, they feel value in knowing where they came from and their community? And, 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 and when they make it, they want to they come back. They want to be aware. Like, how, how do you nurture that? You know what, bro? It's a using your own experience too. Right? I told them how I grew up and where I came from. And so I'm coming back and I love working in that community. But we don't make millions, bro. Right? You want, I, I told my, my niece, I want to be a teacher. I'm like, you ain't going to make millions. I'll tell you that. And, and, and you're going to struggle, especially five, 10 years from now, bro. So part of the connection too is, is building the language for these kids to understand their own society. Because they understand their society through an authoritative or, or supremacist lens, right? That in order for you to be successful and be somebody, you have to hit middle, upper class economic status, right? Yeah, fuck, that's what I was raised on, right? Bro. Who and wasn't? We, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we wanted that nice car and, and in the nice right. home, right? Without realizing that I could be happy where I'm at with my familia. Without giving, you know, with giving yourself an opportunity too, if you can have a nice home, so for it, go for it, right? But without losing the root of who you are and when you come from, mm -hmm. right? Especially your young, you know, your abuelos that some of our, well, my abuelo came from, from Guadalajara, right? Came here and documented work on the fields, yeah. right? Their sacrifices mean something, but we schools don't teach that, yeah. right? And last time, right? This last week, last week, we were on break now. It's like, well, what are you grateful for? Right. And oh, we were all grateful for this. And kids were in my office. And let me tell you about the real, <laughs> right? I cannot be grateful on the grief of genocide of our communities and our native communities of people, right? Let's, let's acknowledge them. What they've gone, they've lost their sons. They've lost their children and their husbands and their land, right? They shed blood for who we are today or what we have today. Same thing in Mexico, bro, right? Independencia Mexico, yeah, viva Mexico, but what about honoring those who were killed for those lands, right? The blood that they shed, right? We forget that, again, because that's the propaganda, right? That's the marketing tool. That's the scope they wanted to view things through. That's, that's definitely it. And it's, and, and it's practice in school systems and in, in, in their curriculum, right? Kids are learning about Henry IV, Henry V. It's like, really? So why is there so much pushback on critical race theory? Oh, bro, because it, it's so... White supremacist, white ideology, bro. They don't want to be shed the light in them. They want right? to keep it in the dark. That's the, what they call um, white guilt, right? That's the white guilt. They want to keep it in the dark because then I have to really come to this truthfulness of, yeah, we effed up, right? We did do this to a lot of these people. But then again, racism is not taught. I mean, racism is taught, right? And it's passed on as well through our families, so on and so forth. So critical race theory is hard right, in schools. Because it talks about and it shuts the light of the truth. And it's the that reality. mask you were talking about right. earlier. Right. And so these kids are taught about that. Do you know what racism is? No, I don't know what racism is. You know, discrimination. You know, so we don't even prepare these kids on own critical thinking. So if they hit 
universities, they're not going to have concept of what is going on, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't talk about it in elementary schools. And these kids, well, we're not ready for that in kids, really. You want to hear the conversations I have with my kids about narco corridos and so on and so forth, about the music they hear? Man, kids listen to this because we have to understand the social, cultural communities where they- Pregnancies. Pregnancies. Bro. You know, domestic birth control, violence, domestic yeah. violence. Our kids aren't as naive as we paint them to no. be. I mean, I, I know there's a certain, when we send our kids to school, it's like, okay, shit. What are they going to bring back? Right. You know, it's like, I know what we teach them at home. I know what we try to do and we try to implement, but it's like, all right, now we're sending them out. Yeah. Let's see what they bring back. And it's funny, you know, I mean, I can take a step back and be like, oh, they're bringing the new, new lingo home. Like they're saying things that we don't say in the house. I'm like, all right, they're learning this. Okay. To an extent you're like, oh, but there's a whole world of other things that they're learning over there, man. No, it's, it's. You know, the exposure of technology mm-hmm. for these kids, man. I mean, these kids in, in kinder are talking about sex and all this TikTok and stuff like that. Bro. But the reality is, how do we prepare for that? How do parents prepare for that, right? To to acknowledge that these that's the reality of these kids. Injector is scaring me straight today, bro. <laughs> Jesus Lord, man. That's just the reality of the nature of what we have in our society, right? And and so when I do workshops, bro, um, a lot of parents do want to kind of give the blind eye, bro, because it's scary for them. No pussy. Right? Yeah. How, how can I talk to my seven-year-old about sex? He's already talking about it in school. Right. I said, we don't have to talk about it about sex. You can talk about healthy sexuality. Mm-hmm. And healthy sexuality has nothing to do with like genitals, bro. It has a lot to do with just, you know, caressing yourself. The girls, you know, touch the hair. That's development. Right? Yeah. But because in our country, we see sexuality, bro, as like a risk factor. Right. But then when we're adults, we're all about it. Right. So anyhow, I don't want to deviate into that. That's a whole different program. Girl, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. I saw that in your eyes. You're like, yeah, right now, bro, I don't want to kind of deviate. But that, so these are the, 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 the limitations, bro, that a lot of the schools or Montgomery has. Right. Um, it's just a lack of resources and opportunities. And one of the things I saw in one of the classrooms, you know, one of the teachers was so frustrated um, is that, that um, the laptops wouldn't turn on, bro. Right. And she connect them and stuff like that. So these kids have not access to that. Right. And kids didn't even know how to navigate, bro. I yeah. mean, you're talking about fifth and sixth grade with the academic limitations with reading levels of like first, second grade. Right. You're talking about fifth and sixth graders, bro. Can read and write. At least some of them. But tell them to speak to you in Spanish. Oh, Boom. these kids. Está bien perro, Mr. Mesa. And I'm thinking like, whoa. So they have that street knowledge. Right. So how do we use what you already have? How do we channel that into how do this? We channel that, right? How do we channel that? And and so we need to learn how to really allow these kids to guide us so we can create their own education. So I went into a, um, a sixth grade classroom. There's one of the teachers who's struggling with, with this camp situation, bro. And, and I did like the power words, right? And so I talked about positive words and negative, right? So they're oh, what are positive words? Ah, I'm like my mind, stuff like that. So what are negative words that hurt you? The kid said, puta. Ufa. And I was like, and everybody's like, ooh. I said, nah, it's cool. Right? This is a space for us to really speak on this. Yeah, that's a negative word. But it's interesting that you only said, puta. Again, we focus on women. He's a sixth grader, bro. And his ideology is puta. And I'm thinking, where do we hear this? A young girl said, J Balvin. Interesting. And then they started talking. And then- Who that? Who's, who's, who's Jay Belvin? Oh, thank you. Jay Belvin. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so Jay Belvin is a famous DJ, a reggaetonero. Okay. Uh, right, so right, he right, uses right. these lyrics, right? And okay. I said, okay, so look at the way we demean women, right? 
eh, en Maluma sings a song of cuatro somos mejores, right? Um, and I said, look at what they're talking about that. I can have four women and you can't. This is the ideology, bro, that's going into young kids. And so I kind of switched it up and put a man on the, on the whiteboard. And I said, define that for me, right? To young kids. What does that mean to you? So let's just say like aliens come and they see you and they say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm investigating men. What is that? And kids said, oh, that's easy. We got to control women. Oh, So I'm writing stuff down, right? Controlling women. And then they're like, we have to have money, bitches, and car. And you know, they're getting all this from music and stuff, right? The trip and part of it is, one kid said, it's a four P. Four Ps are like, yeah, you pick them, pimp them, play them, and pass them. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You know, the way I hit daddies with it, bro. I was like, you got a daughter. This is like, this is the oh, way you see your daughter, right? Now my daughter player. <laughs> right, bro. That's a protective mechanism, yeah, right, bro? Yeah. But then again, it's like some kids were giggling. I say, this is an educational space. I've never even heard of the four piece. I'm 42, bro. Little, see, that's the truth, that's, right? Oh my God. And so these kids said, the more sex I have, the more of a man I become. You're talking about 10, 11 years old, almost 12. They're perspective of women is what I just shared. Yeah. Who teaches these kids different? And then we complain that these kids, right, are having sex and are doing all this stuff. What do, how do we respond as school systems? So then I wrote everything on and said, that's interesting. So one of the kids always challenged you as a teacher, right? What about you? What do you think a man is? So I put dignity, integrity, honorable. You know what a kid said? That's pussy, man. I was going to say, you probably said yep. like, yeah, 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 yeah. So what does that mean though, bro? That that threatens a man's vulnerability, right? I cannot be vulnerable because if I am, right, what are they going to say? I have to toughen up. This is a social reproduction of young kids. These are the, this is the mindset these kids have in classrooms. And yet we're still four plus four is this. You got to get ready for the state test, right? Henry the fourth, he did this good stuff. When kids are packed with this mindset of how they're going to reproduce in society. What are they going to do in society? And as school systems, what do we say? It's their fault. My mind was blown today, man. Yeah, My me. mind was blown in the way it, elementary schools work. Yeah, man. And it's, it's, it's kind of silly to bring back and talk about the gratitude, right? And what we can do. I feel we got to take it to the next level and see how we, Inspire. as the group that we have, like how we can legitimately provide something. Right. And and help, you know, because man, it sounds like you have one man army over there trying yeah, to take bro, on everything over there. You know what? It's uh, it's clustering kids in groups, bro. And so, um, I I when I have them in groups, I created this group called In La Kesh, Right. So In La Kesh is a Mayan concept of community. Right. If I hurt you, I hurt myself. All that is is embedded in empathy and human development, and love and caring. But it's programmed in social emotional learning. And let's talk about social awareness and empathy. How can I teach you empathy, bro? And that's already us as human beings, right? It's like, we'll teach them how to be happy. How the hell do you teach someone to be happy, right? Damn, bro, those are all programs. So then we look at you as a program, as a manual, right? This even happens with kids when they grieve. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in schools, bro, kids grieving, right? Oh, let's look at the five, you know, the five levels of grief. It's like, man, let them grieve. Because when we see it in society, bro, in communities, or when you go to a therapist and you're grieving and, 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 and you're at the depressed state, you get medicated. Because they don't have development to know how to help you out of depression. Because my policy is, do I, before you committed suicide, I want to hurt yourself. Like, you here, sign here. I got to medicate you. I did my protocol. Now we encapsulate your sadness. And kids go through forms of grieving, bro. 
mama's not being hurt a lot, it grieves. The biology of loss. I grieve mama's love, right? And so mama's love has a lot to do with mine. So what I do, I repress my grieving. I become my novia, my novia. She gives me what mama couldn't give me. But we see that a lot. That's psychology, bro. That's normal psychology in human development. And we know this. And this psychology has been studied for years and decades. Yet, where do we go to, bro? Common core, testing companies, right? Neoliberal education. Bro, we're focusing on the wrong yeah, priorities. Bro, it's our first year back of this pandemic, right? It's our first year back in person. Kids have lost their abuelitas, tios, parents. And what's the whole talk? Back to work. Back to work. That's the whole talk again and again, right? And so we can't blame administrators because they got the pressure from their higher-ups. Yep. Right? And so on and so on. And districts say, nah, you got to do it because we got funding coming in. You don't do this. We you lose funding. Yeah, so you got to get the data in all mm-hmm. my data. Check all the boxes. The, the checkbox, right? That's the sadness of our society, bro. So how do we continue to reproduce this? How do we break these silos and these cycles, right? By educating and informing young men and women giving them the tools, bro, building the resiliencies that they need. And the thing is, we're not going to see change now, bro. Because if we continue with these dialogues in our schools, you're going to see the difference later on. Not now, but as our, our how you mentioned, our punitive, but we want a quick response, right? Since I want a quick response to your child's misbehavior, I medicate. Same thing. I want a quick response. It's not working. I want to spell fuera. You're done, right? That's our mentality. We know that's not going to, we cannot fix others and we should not fix others. I'm nobody to fix somebody, right? That's an insult to somebody. I don't want you to fix me. I want you to guide me, right? And educate me because I'm going to use that when I grow up, right? And how am I going to give back to the community and society what I can do to these families and educate them and even teach these families about their own dynamics and their own systems, right? The old school stuff that I've used can continue to work yeah so it's, it's definitely a method to bridge the gap definitely you know and, and you just can't it's not black it's not white it's got to be in the middle right you got to have a little of this and you have a little, little of that yeah so our communities in, in montgomery right that the cultural demographics have a lot of these struggles bro. Yeah. right like my my side dude i see the church all the time and i'm thinking why doesn't even the priests come what do you guys need it's part of the community has that has it been extended to the priests? yeah no, no one has right yeah. And so that's my next right step. It's like, you know, without due respect, right? It's like, you get all these, you know, ofrendas and stuff. Like, you know, some first of the schools were part of the community. Yeah, man. Right? That's going to be an interesting conversation oh, right it there. it will be, bro. Is it going to say, no. No. Well, it just makes me think even about that community. A lot of those kids end up going to Castle Park and graduating from Castle yeah. Park. Is there an alumni group within that school? A lot of successful people. Shout out Zeke Moreno, right? Like a lot of people went there. Yeah. There's connections to the schools Dude, there. I love that. I love what you're saying. That's definitely true. Or like reaching out. It's, like I said, it's, it's within my first year. Mm-hmm. However, one of the counselors came and spoke to our principal, right? And I don't know if it was a middle school, high school counselor, but he came and, and kind of questioned my principal. He was like, Dude, this is my first year here too. But the questioning was, is, we're getting a lot of kids from elementary school with a low reading level. The kids cannot decipher a sentence or construct one, right? There we go again. The, the linguistic limitations. What has happened to these kids, right? During the English-only program, how do we build scholars and, and, and college readiness? 
Dude, the fundamentals to succeed in university, higher ed is reading and writing, bro. These kids cannot. So what's going on in that school system, right? At least in that community. What's been happening historically, right? And one of the things is, well, a lot of it has a lot to do with mental health. You, you want to trip on something? A lot of the school psychs evaluations on, on spatial and, and on speech and memory retention, all that and more gets affected by your adversities that you go through when you're a kid, right? So we're looking at the, we're looking at symptoms again. So then when I come in, I tell my mom, this is what's going on. This is how it could be helped. These are the interventions that may help or provide some tools, right? Again, it's a process, but school systems, bro, or systems in general, don't give a shit about process. I want it now. Results. Results. How is that going to impact mm -hmm. my results, my data? We're in a result-based community, man. We're in a result society, yeah. rather. Everything has to be now. And, what? And, and we're in a farm system data, right? We're just farming these kids out in impoverished communities, right? Because these programs, bro, fit perfectly for affluent communities. Because those affluent communities respond well to these. That's why they say they're successful. Yeah, they don't, they don't speak Spanish only, <laughs> right? But they have a whole separate set of rules that they play their game with. Oh, definitely. You know, we're playing, our kids are playing a game. They have no idea what the rules are to oh, the that's game. That's what it is. And I, it's like, you, you hit the spot. And it's like, okay, well, what do I do with this? I don't know what to do with this. I but agree you, with you. Know? I agree with you. The game is rigged. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like a game in Monopoly. You start with all the properties. Mm -hmm. I have to catch up to you. Right. You could get Baltic, bro. Right. A little purple one in the beginning. <laughs> that's you. You know? I'm tax that ass, though, dog. What's up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's how we start. These communities start with that. I start with the minimum. You already you know, start with all these, you know, um, um, resources and stuff for you to navigate, right? For you to succeed, right? It reminds me of an example. I watched a video one time. I don't know why, probably on YouTube. And it says, okay, everybody at the starting line. And they're going to race to the end of the line. Take a step forward if your parents are married. So they take a step forward. Take a step forward. If you come home and there's a meal and a warm bed and this waiting for you when you get home and people step forward, some stay back, some don't, you know, and they got keep asking these kinds of like culturally related questions, you know, and by the end of like five questions, they say, okay, stop, take a look around on your market set, go. So you got some dudes playing and starting yeah, 50 man. yards in front of other people who didn't have, you know, parents that stayed together, who maybe didn't have parents at all. Whose parents are unemployed, who they don't own a home, who they rent, who they don't take have a car, they have a they ride the bus. So all of these things were put into this little, you know, little uh, equation. Right. And they said, on your market set, go. And obviously, it's like it was all like African American, Mexican in the back, right. and it was all white kids in the front. They said, this is the race of life. This is how right. we're. This is how we get through our lives from on a day to day basis. And there's no nobody starts at the same starting point. Ever. It's like everybody has a different set of rules that they play this game by. They say, you take a look back. It's unfair to say, we all start in the same place. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. These are the things. This is just how it is. You got to succeed at all costs. It's hard, man. Yep. There's, 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 different, yeah. there's different variables that are thrown in our lives that right. will negate this starting line. Definitely. That's a beautiful analogy, bro. You I know what I mean? It just gives you perspective a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, right? Because that's, that's so... Our community is that, right? We're, we're at behind the line, 
bro, versus other schools. Mm-hmm. You got Lacoste. Well, I keep shitting on Lacoste. Whatever North County school, <laughs> or whatever oh, affluent think, high school, yeah. middle school, Jog, elementary I mean, school. The difference between even East and West Chile. Yeah. To East, oh, yeah. Perfect. Those resources. You know? I agree. You know? My kids go to school in East yeah. Lake. You know, so. and it makes sense. Yeah. You know, like this is how the budget works. You know, okay. Right. Affluent schools in the front. Hey, we're all on the same team. We're all starting from the same starting line. And then you take a look back. Like, no, we're not, man. Yep. And now I learn. And Montgomery, need, they need a lot of help. Yes. So hopefully what you you showing up here and coming in and just kind of like spitting your knowledge, which is all it was. Sometimes we have a podcast where we're forced to talk more than the guests. Right. Not today. Today was more like, let's take a seat. Just listen. El Panchito about to drop knowledge. <laughs> Panchito's about to like take us a task and we learn what really goes on in the inner workings, man. I, I want to keep having you back in. Oh, I appreciate well, Fucking one and a half hours is, is not enough to listen to you. Just kind of like drop knowledge on what truly affects the most prized things that we have in our life, right, our children, right. you know, like ultimately our kids are, they're going to carry the legacy of who we are. Oh, definitely. Why do I want somebody to carry my legacy? If I'm, if I'm not in touch with what's really wrong with me, right, you know what I mean? And what's rooted in there. Yeah. Bro. And, and I think so if, if you ever want to even invite my homie, Dr. Medina, bro, he, he's part of this, bro, but he wears at the San Diego Unified, right? So we have conversations on a lot of these Oof, those must be some intense conversations, oh, he's, bro. He's, 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 Jesus bro, Christ. That, that boy has knowledge, bro. Yeah. He knows his he's seen shit, some things, bro. bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Him and my homie Macedonio. So Macedonio Arteaga, he works for Lincoln High School, bro. And, and he tell I mean, he, he has stories too, right? And I so, played golf with him. You did? I think so. If it's the same Macedonia, yeah. does it go by Mase? Mase. And he has a, a cultural events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. He invited us the other day. So yeah. trip on this. Go bro. ahead. He's been doing circles mm. for communities for the last 20 years, right? This is before restorative practices came into school systems, so on and so forth. So restorative practices come along. Again, bro, we, we get practices from indigenous-based people and we commercialize it. We make money off of it, Right. So now IRRP and all this stuff about, you know, restorative practices when he's been doing them for years, he's never been, I mean, you know, people acknowledge him or, or, you know, newspapers acknowledge him. Bro, he's been doing it for the community for years. He does sweat lodges for young kids, right? But we go again to the disparities. But you see Aguero doing it, bro, with all the respect. With Trump, they're on the spotlight yeah. news and all channels. Look and what this news. guy's doing. Yes, look at what he's doing, yeah. right? And so, again, we go into those disparities, right? Because then we have this stereotype of, well, speaking of nosotros, los mexicanos, you know, we don't go out there. No, we go out there. We just not acknowledge when we do we do go out there, right? But if I was blue-eyed, tall, with a doctor degree from Yale, you know, you see Berkeley's, you say, man, I'd be on the spotlight. Look at what he's doing for the community, Right? This is, this is what we're facing. This is the realities of our schools. This is the reality of our impoverished communities, right? Montgomery, number one. Here, in our community. In our community. Here, locally, close yeah. to what we are all about. Exactly. And so, again, I mean, the school system are designed to fail my sons, right? And so then we talk about these kids not succeeding in university placements. How? How are they not going to succeed when they have to encounter the disparities in the barriers you just mentioned a while ago? Others have a head start. Yeah. Right? They have to catch up. And, and maybe yeah. they will. Maybe they will. Eight and in years, that race, guess right? what? And guess what? In that race, yes. there were some people that caught up. Definitely. You know, right. They caught up and surpassed the people who had the 50-foot head start, right. the 50-yard head start, oh, you know? I agree with you, bro. And then we, we and then we, so then one. But that is not the common result. That is not. Right. Right. You know, that is not the likely Definitely. result of this little experiment that right. they had, you know? Right. You will have that one shining star that- Throughout all adversity and all of the obstacles that are put in his face, 
I agree. He or she will still make it. Definitely. That is not the common that outcome. Not, bro. And, and the way we kind of want to vindicate communities, right? Like I remember years ago, a girl from our Vista high school, I think, made it to Harvard. Mm. Or she was on the spotlight. Oh, well. And it's like, dude, that's not going to resolve the problems of what that community is going through, what our communities are going through, right? It's like when, when you know, just to make this comparison analogy, like when President Obama went into presidency, that didn't resolve racism or the oppression that continued, right? But that was the talk. Oh, now this is going to end. That's never going to end, bro. It's going to continue because people make money off of it. I mean, scooter prison pipeline. So Archula District, Archula District has about 7% African-Americans in our district. 13% of them are in special ed classes. And that's, you know, Mr. Our school psychologist, well, the school psychologist, Greg Watkins, right? The African-American gave me that statistics. There's something in the system, bro, that's designed for that, right? And again, school to prison pipeline. And then we say, yup, it's them. But because we make money off of it. I mean, if we talk about now school to prison pipeline and just the prison industry, bro, how much money they make, so on and so forth. I mean, that's another topic again, right? But who's feeding into that, right? These communities that lack those resources, because then, then they become stressed out. They become in survival mode. They grow up and they start to commit quote unquote crimes, right? Because a lot of them have mental health issues that are not intervened ahead of time. And so within those mental health issues, they start to commit certain crimes because of the impulsivity of the behavior, right? Panchito. That's what we have. What can we do? Bro, we need to. I'm happy we were able to provide a space, a platform for you to, like I said, drop this knowledge. But right. what, what, what? What can we do as a community? Because people listen to what we do. Right. People people support what we get behind. Right. So I'm curious, what can we do to help a Montgomery Elementary or schools in that same situation? Right. You know what? Um, a lot of the, the stuff, bro, that could be done is kind of reaching out to me right at the school. And then we can have dialogue and conversations as far as like the placement or how we can kind of help those communities. Right. We're starting with like fundraisers. And again, bro, it's very limited because of COVID, right? We can have certain people or physical, but... The teachers, right, like uh, Ms. Calixto, right, Stephanie Calixto, she's a sixth grade teacher. She's the one kind of um, outreaching to the community and societies. I mean, in her Facebook platform, she has like the GoFundMe and um, for people to kind of help, right, with, with these kids having to go to camp. Right, That's one, um, one way to kind of support our community. But any other way, they can have conversations with me so we can kind of have sit and see what we, you know, what we can do. There's some, you know, um, like there's this thing called Shop with the Cop, right? And so probation department reached out to our school and they've been having this historically, bro. And so the cops choose 10 students. It used to be five, but they extended it to 10. So 10 students are picked, third graders, and they meet on a Saturday. And so the cops take them to breakfast and then to SeaWorld and then they give them about 250, 300 bucks and they can shop, right? Whatever they want. They can buy gifts for their parents, whatever, right? So they give them like, like a certain amount of money so kids can spend. So that's a good program that we have. I've right? been reaching out to our police department and see how else they can kind of provide these forms of support, you know, for communities, but it's, it's definitely a challenge, bro. definitely a challenge. I, I, I think, um, everything you said to us was inspiring, man. You opened our eyes and, and I just like to extend the opportunity to you, man. It sounds like you'll see things in real time where areas of support could be provided as you're meeting with these families. I say in those circumstances, man, feel free to free, reach out, man. Not only you got, a, you got a group here that we're wanting to learn as much as we can about our community. Uh, these conversations open our eyes. Uh, I'm real, I feel real, real touched even just by the sixth grade, not being able to go to camp dynamic. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, cause that was yeah. my experience. I had, I had that privilege, right. man. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I think that's a practical way. Then even bigger picture, man. I mean, cause you know, sometimes we just want to throw money at problems, yeah. you know, try to bring a little hope, a little yeah, love for I mean, sure. But like, what's a, 
an experience, bro. Yeah. What about an experience like you were talking about earlier? Franchito was talking about just taking these kids out of the current situation that they're in and giving them a different view, a different scope of where, you know, they're at. We just linked up with the Chula Vista Golf Course. You know, Chula Vista Golf Course linked up with us and they give us, they're going to give us money quarterly, roughly on a quarterly basis to reinvest into the community. Like maybe introducing some of these students that otherwise wouldn't have an idea what golf is, just giving them something different, you know, maybe doing something like that. I mean, we just throwing ideas, you know, at the wall and see what sticks. But since we have a budget for it, we have money allocated for that. I see like that could be a, 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 a potentially rewarding thing for somebody who's never picked up a, a golf club in their life. Don't know what oh, golf yeah. is. You take them to the golf course, they get into the, they're going to um, allocate instructors to them to teach them the fundamentals of how to play the rules of the game. And guess what? I met Masse on a golf course. You know, people always make oh, golf is a white man sport. Guess what, bro? There's a lot of people that look like me on the golf course right now. Right. You know, those connections, right? those We're connections are long lasting, right. you know? So I don't know that that could be something, you know, that's not money, but more so it's like opportunity to go and go and, and learn something different. Right. Maybe something that triggers something within the suit and be like, oh, you know what? This is cool. Yeah. I want to try this. Yeah. I don't know. So things that we can revisit. Right. Oh, that trade, right? Yeah. So one of the things, my vision is, bro, for a lot, some of these, well, these sixth graders, right? Um, before they leave, like I'm, I'm thinking ahead, right? I want to kind of take them to Magic Mountain. But a lot of these kids, are like me, like, no, I don't want to get into roller coasters. But what I love, I don't know if they have it, but I know Magic Mountain had it. When you took a group of kids from a school, they'll put them in a, like in a room first and they'll teach them about the geometry of building. Oh, heck yeah. The mathematics of it and what goes on out the speed and, and so on and so forth, which is really cool, bro. And how they even are able to um, determine people's heart rates, right? With the speed and, and, and kind of the lapse of, of, of the hills, right? It's very interesting. So I'm looking into that for a lot of these kids. But again, these kids are like, well, I don't know. I like the way you're thinking outside so. of the box though, man. I like how you're bringing things that are not normally brought forth to elementary school students yeah. and you're just kind of flipping the script on them. Right. Thank you, man. No, no, thank you. Hey, bro, Appreciate thank you for coming in and, and teaching us a few things today, man. It's, no, I've I, learned enough today that I, I can turn my brain off for the rest of the week, bro. <laughs> what time so, you got to be at work, dude? She won in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I look forward. I know this isn't the last time we're going to talk. And as a matter of fact, I'll make it a point that we exchange numbers and, and we stay in contact and see how we can help each other, how, how we can, you know, make a difference. Right. Because ultimately, that's what it is. Yep. Gracias, brother. Oh, thank brother. you, bro.